You're listening to Beyond the Melody, a podcast that dives into the midst of musicians, artists, comedians, writers, and pretty much anyone who craves to be creative. My name is Brian Mello, and I'm a singer-songwriter from Hamilton, Ontario. I know how unforgiving an artist's journey can be, but I also know that inspiration can come from just about anywhere. I'm sitting down with people who know how to dream big. Let's explore their impact and how it's even bigger. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Melody. I am incredibly excited about today's podcast because I have one of the greatest mentors to have ever impacted my life with us here today. This man was able to build his company, Jackson Wealth Management, to one of the top 150 investment firms on Wall Street, appearing yearly in Barron's and Forbes magazine as one of the top financial advisors in the country, including number one in the state of Alabama. But after dominating the financial world, he took his leadership to the football field, coaching youth and high school football for several years, winning three Alabama state championships with both teams. And as the years passed, he became more and more of a renaissance man, jumping into the music world and founding First Note Entertainment, a sync licensing music firm and record label. And these days, he's, he fully dedicates his career and time to his mentorship efforts, beginning a movement called The Power of Your Walk. I'm talking about my great friend and mentor, Mr. Tommy Jackson. Tommy, how are you, buddy? Man, I'm blessed. And thank you for the introduction. I want to meet that person. That sounds <laughs> well, I got tired. I got tired. Man, that sounded busy. <laughs> hey, man, well, it's, it's well-deserved because you've done so many great things. And, uh, you know, I just want people to really understand who I'm talking to today. You know, Tommy, I, I feel so fortunate that we were able to cross paths because you and your amazing wife, Michelle, instantly became our American family when I was with Apollo's Crown. And, and we moved down there, you became our friend, our coach, our mentor, our therapist, all of the above. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you took me to my first college football games, the first ever games I went to was Alabama versus Auburn, um, the Iron Bowl. And then the second game was a national championship game with Clemson and Alabama and Phoenix. I, I mean, I totally got spoiled by you. That's why I'm repping the colors here today, because since then I've become a huge Bama fan and it's all thanks to you. <laughs> yeah, it's a big roll tie. It's just a big roll tie. Yeah, you know, and, you know, I've just I've learned so much from you. And I know whoever's listening today uh, will learn, will learn so much as well. And, you know, in the intro, I listed just some of the incredible achievements that you've been, you know, able, able to achieve in your life, but life wasn't always this kind to you. And it, it was not an easy road to get to um, where you are today. Can you, can you take us back to the humble beginnings and the tough environment that you grew up in and that helped shape the man that you are today? I know I'm probably opening up a can of worms here, but uh, it, it's quite the story. Hey, we're digging in. We're digging. First of all, thank you so much. And, uh, your family, you left out the only one that yes, really yes. your family, man. It's yeah, like absolutely. we fell in love with you guys the first day you walked in the studio and with all the buzz in Nashville talking about this trio that had come in from Canada and, you <laughs> yeah. know, this guy won the Canadian Idol and all these things are going on. And I got to see you guys and hear you guys and what an amazing artist and musician you guys uh, all are from Canada. Canada represents some amazing, amazing people. Yeah, so and Australia. Off. We can't so, yeah, Australia. And Australia from, from Andrew. But uh, you know, props off to uh to the Canadian artists up there because it's they're they're coming from everywhere. They're taking over. So that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean if we want to take a step back, which I'm I'm more than happy to do because it kind of breeds some uh 
context into the conversation. I like to say, unfortunately, I was born in hell, so there was no place to go but up. You know, my dad uh, obviously had some serious addictions and some very abusive uh, ways of handling uh, uh, those addictions. And so we grew up in a very violent environment, very violent home. And, uh, you know, there was many days that, uh, you know, we wouldn't see him. And there was many days that, uh, you know, when it came in, it was an incredible violent situation. So I learned to listen to the streets really, really well, you know, so it gave me a blessing, quite frankly, it let me be able to be who I am today and looking at things for what they are versus what I wish that they would be. And uh, it gave me a platform to build off of. And we can dig as deep as you want. But yeah, yeah. it was very humble beginnings. And mom and I uh, left uh, with my sister and and uh, we kind of I, at a very young age, then became incredibly poor. So there was times when uh, my mom would uh, struggle to be able to, you know, actually feed us and all those other kind of things. So yeah, I started at the bottom. Uh, but you know, that's also the platform that allowed me to have such a strong foundation to build off of that when times get tough, the wind doesn't blow my house too far from the center, you know? Wow. Well, you know, what do you think, um, you know, I've heard you say to me in the past that like, you, you didn't want to become another statistic, right? And I, I, I hear a lot of stories about people that were in a similar situation that you were in and, and they follow suit and, and they mimic that behavior. But for you, you wanted to make something beautiful out of the pain that you went through. What, uh, what do you think it was about you that, that really kind of, you know, went that other path? You know, it's, it's amazing because uh, we're raised in the same household with the same parents and the same opportunities and conditions. And, uh, you know, I think we all went our separate ways in different ways in those environments. And I hear people all the time say, uh, you know, those kind of people, it's, we always label those kind of people. Hmm. Uh, you should know how to act. You should know what to do. You need to act right. Uh, you're a product of your environment. You don't have yeah. any reference point. And so for whatever reason, at a very young age, I just knew what I did not want to do or be. And I knew I didn't want to look like my dad when he was drinking. And I knew I didn't want to hit another person. And I knew that I wanted education and I wanted a way out. And I didn't really know as much as what to do versus what not to do. And sometimes we find ourselves in situations if we would just look at not what we should be doing or what everybody says we should be doing. If we really look inside inherently, we know what's right and wrong. And at a young age, I was trying as hard as I could to pick the opposite side of wrong. Wow. And, and it's, it's amazing the, the success that you're able to, cre- to create as well, because I mean, you know, when, when we fast forward a little bit, you know, you um, you're, you're able to get a scholarship to uh to university and uh you you graduate with high honors and there's you know you're getting job offer after job offer and and you decide to go you decide to go into finance but i i you know i i watched an interview interview that you did and i found this interesting because the first person that hired you for your wealth management job said and i quote i'm gonna hire you i will not pay you and you will never make it I what mean, a way to start, right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, what a way to like, start. Like, talk about, talk about. <laughs> it's a true story. Bill Bach in Birmingham, Alabama with a firm called A.G. Edwards and & Sons. And uh, it, it was a pretty cool meeting because, uh, yeah, I was blessed that I went to school on a full-based, need-based academic scholarship. Yeah. And I wasn't as smart as I was desperate. So I, I graduated top of my class with highest honors. And 
had a major in finance, had a, uh, a minor in psychology. The psychology major was to try to figure out how to unscrew up my screwed up brain. <laughs> and uh, so I learned how people think and act and do. And so, sure, I mean, the obvious thing was I'm going to go into wealth management and I come from total poverty. So what what a you know, different side of the spectrum. So he looks at me and said, who do you know with money? And I go, no one. He's like, who could you possibly call if I gave you the job? And I was like, um, I'm not sure. And and he goes, well, this is a full commission job. We're not going to pay you a salary. And there's no way that you'll be able to make it because this is about having connections and all those. So it's all those lies that the world tells you, you know, it's all those things that people say to you that if you believe it, then it probably becomes your destiny. But all he just basically told me was, is, hey, I'm starting your job out in hell. And I said, oh, welcome home. This this should be easy. I don't know what what to do, but I know what not to do. So immediately I started developing a process of excellence by almost accident that I still use today. Every single thing new that I start, I started off the principles that fortunately and blessfully, and and I would even say luckily that I developed uh, as a very young person. And I still use those steps today. And so I started the journey of if I'm going to do this, then I'll, I'll I'll fail on my terms or I'll make it on my terms. So I told the guy that day, you won't have to hire me. I will for sure take your job because I need it. And I will come back in here and fire myself if I'm not the best you've ever hired within a year for the year. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty silly statement at the time. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, uh, you know, here's. Uh, three decades later where I'm still doing what he said I would never be able to do. So don't listen to all those haters out there, I guess, is the moral of that story. Absolutely. Uh, you got you got to take because I think with a lot of people listening as well, you know, they, they give up so quickly when things don't work out right away. Um, I, I, how did that first year go? Like, like did like, <laughs> it had I, two I, halves, right? It had two halves. It's the first half, second half. So we'll just do football <laughs> analogies for a little while since we started there. And the first, the first half, I was really blown out. You know, <laughs> they, were boo- they were booing me and saying, "Get him out of the game." <laughs> and so, and so, what they did was they gave you a desk and a telephone book. You know, so we going to date ourselves. You know, it wasn't like anything we have today. And it was a telephone book, and I got the telephone book, and I did a lot of research and I, I looked up zip codes that look like they might have houses that have money inside. And I just use a lot of common sense and I started calling people. And I, I was told by this guy, Bill Good, at the Bill Good cold call cowboy system. And I said, if you call 100 people a day, there's no way you can fail. Well, I'm not sure I'm going to make that story, but I at least accepted it as a truth that day. So I started calling 100 people a day. And I guess like 90 of them told me to please never call them again and not in so nice terms. And so I looked up and six months later, um, I'd actually done less than $275 for the month gross commission. So everything I say in numbers divided in half in our business, you give half the firm and you keep the half. And so here I am, you know, top graduate in Alabama and and coming out of accolades and I go home to mom and for that month, and I'm still living at home with mom. And for that month, I bring home, you know, 135 bucks. And she looks at me and she goes, uh, you know, we did not get you through college for you to do this. Maybe you should find a real job. <laughs> so, so it was a very bad first six months, let me say. Oh, my God. But, you know, it, what uh, a success story. I mean, from from starting there to turning it into the number one financial firm, uh, wealth management firm in Alabama and being on 
Forbes and and Barons like uh, that. You, you got to take me into your process because I think I, I really need to know this process. <laughs> wow, that's uh, you know what's amazing. I'm gonna give you a props, Brian, because. I get interviewed like this a lot and I, and I joke around about my process and you're the first person of hundreds of interviews that they went, wait, what's the process? And I hit around all the time. As a matter yeah. of fact, somebody called that listened to the, to another podcast and went, Hey, why did the guy ever ask you the process? And I, was like, I have no idea. I thought that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. I, I, um, I want to know that process. But the second half of that year, you know, the second half of that year. So sometimes we feel like we're so far away and it seems so hopeless. And it seems like the stuff that everybody is telling us is actually true. So, you know, they tell me you can't be in this business if you don't have connections. They tell me you don't belong in this business because you're from the wrong side of the town and all those mm-hmm. other things. And it looked very true because I was absolutely last in the class. And I think there's like 60 people that they had brought in the class. And I think I am the only one that actually maybe there's me and one more that's actually still in the business that made it out of that group. So it had a big fail ratio to begin with. But I made and, I, and I'll say this to everyone listening and I'll slow down when I say this. I made a couple very small changes. And a lot of times we're looking at things and we're trying to change things that are huge. And it seems overpowering and it seems like it's impossible. But I learned very early on, and this ended up leading to my process that we'll talk about. But I learned very early that little things matter a lot. Mm. And I was selling people investments over a phone. I didn't know if it was good for them or not good for them. They just had me on a phone selling product. And I went to school because I love finance and I love numbers and I love economies and I love accounting. And and that love for numbers wasn't being found in calling up someone and saying, hey, before you hang up, I want to sell you this municipal bond. And I just wasn't committed to the process inside. I didn't really believe it myself. And I, I knew I wasn't using my gifts or my skills. And then I heard about this guy by the name of Gene Boers in Panama City, Florida. He did money schools. And I was like, what? Money schools? That sounds like something really I need to go to and learn from. And I go down and this guy basically is a financial advisor and he's talking about money. And he's talking about what is a seed certificate of deposit. He's talking about what is a mutual fund. He's talking about what is a stock, what is a bond. And I went, this room's full. People are really wanting to come in and learn about the fundamentals of investing. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And he had this slideshow, you know, that he put up on the wall. And I went up to him afterwards and said, Mr. Boers, I come down here and they tell me what, you know, a great producer you are. And I would love nothing more than to take this money school back to Alabama. I would like to teach this class. This, this is, this is, man, it's resonating to my heart and my spirit. And uh, he goes, well, just take these down the road and make your copy and you're welcome to them. And Literally, I was so broke that I did not have money to make the copies. I literally did not have any money. I'd actually put the gas on a credit card, which I knew I had zero chance of paying off in 30 days. Wow. I have no idea why the bank even gave me a credit card. That'd be a whole nother podcast. And so uh, let's get let's get the world in debt. Um, And so he looked at me and he said, are you serious? And and with tears, I said, totally serious. I, 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 I don't have any money. He says, like, you don't have any money to get home? I said, I can get home. I have enough for gas and I got this credit card and, you know, I'm, I'm good. And he says, here, kid, take them. And he hands me these things knowing good and well. He had just handed it to, uh, you know, one of the biggest losers of all time on Wall Street. <laughs> and I took them back and I started calling people. And I went, before you hang up on me, I teach 
a theory of money. And, and, and I graduated top of my class. And of course, they still hung up on me. But I stayed persistent. And all of a sudden, things started really clicking because I was passionate about it. And I really believed in it. And two months later, um, I did my first seminar on teaching money. And all of a sudden, I looked up and like 90 people were sitting in an audience to hear me speak. And so at the time, if you did $10,000 in a month, you got a private office. That was a big deal back then. And that's a lot of money. We're talking about 1980s. And that was a lot of money. And the, and the most anyone had ever done was 17000 and change at that particular branch office. And, and that guy was like an icon. You know, his, his, his picture was on the wall of, you know, who we needed to become one day. And here I am having had the all time worse and people making fun of me. And two and a half months later, I did something like twenty six, twenty seven thousand dollars in one month, breaking the all time record by wow. far. And then uh, went on to break my own record four times in the next uh, six or seven months. So, yeah, it was a, the second half, I got I, st- I got somebody else to play quarterback for me because uh, first half I sucked. Wow. So is, is the essence of what you're saying is just give more value than is expected out of you? I think the process is really, really, really simple. I think footprints in the sand of, of failure and, and success are all in the ground pretty easy if you just look at the footprints. Mm. And so if you were to follow people um, through whatever path you want to go, um, they're going to show you by their by their steps, by their daily steps. They're going to show you exactly where they're walking, what kind of person they are, whether they're successful, whether they cheat people. I mean, if you just stop and study your own tracks and look at it, um, pretty much where you are today is because of all the steps you took in the past. You might have blamed some of those on people. You might have liked some. You might not like. But those footprints were so defined. And I went, is it just as easy as this? And, and so this is the process. Whatever it is that I'm going to do, whatever it is, I first have to have a powerful why. I have to really believe I'm supposed to be doing it. And if I'm not supposed to be doing it, I don't do it at all. So I just follow my instincts or my gifts. And then if I am supposed to be doing it, I think other people were also supposed to be doing it and have done it better than me out there in, in the past. So I find three minimum, three people that are having the level of success in life in that particular area that I desire, that I desire. And what I found was people that have success usually understand that they were struggling once upon a time. And I reach out and I call them. And they may hang up on me, but most don't. <laughs> but I reach out and I call them and I say, look, you're where I want to be one day. And I don't want to make all the mistakes that you probably made, but I will for sure make. So will, will you give me an hour of your time and I want to come in and I want to learn from you for one hour. I will shut up. I will listen and I will follow. You have set the path of greatness and I want to follow greatness. And then from those three people, I found out that there's like 10 steps, but I found out like with all three of them, six of those steps were exactly the same. Hmm. And those are the ones that matter. And I put those steps in and I don't even pretend that I know anything until I've mastered those steps. And then I can put my own personality to it. And what I found out very early on, this man had already made all the mistakes I'd made and he figured out. I need to teach people. I can't sell people. And I need to show them the simple illustration and then they'll trust me. And all I did was start emulating him. And I started emulating a guy by the name of Mac McLennan. He was the top producer in the entire country. And I went to him and I went to KT Cole and he was the top producer in our office prior to me. 
And I just said, can I just sit and watch you? And then I said, okay, tomorrow I start these six things and I won't let my day in until I've done the six things that those successful people are doing to get what I want. And I still do that today. I do it in music. I did it in, in the football. I do it in the, the mentorship. I'm doing it right now in public speaking. I'm studying a lot of you people that are out there doing extremely right. And I'm just looking at the footprints in the sand and saying, what are the common ingredients that I must put in? And then from there over time, I build my own way, my own personality. But I don't believe that I, I need to go in the jungle and start cutting my own path because there's like big python snakes that kill me. So I just let somebody else get eaten and then I walk through the path. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. W would you be willing to share those ingredients with us, those six ingredients? They're different from every single trade. One, one thing that will always be common is, is you have to have a why, for sure. Yeah. The one thing that will always be in there for sure is they're going to be you have to have a disciplined process. And there's a process to everything. There's a process to being a songwriter. If you want to be a great one, people try to break it down to emotions and instincts. But if I were to go interview some of you great songwriters, I would find there's so much common grounds to a greatness in a room, period. And those things are always there. Hard work is never not in there. People now just want the results, but they don't want the journey. And so those three things will always be there. Then the other three are unique to whatever that path is. To be a great football coach, there were those three. To be a great mentor, there was those three. To be a great speed, strength, and conditioning person, which we didn't talk about, which was a part of my life where we put two kids in the Super Bowl against each other in our basement and got the number 14 player in the world right now today in women's tennis and women's WTA doubles, Alexa Garachi. Those principles were undeniably the same if I were to go study at the House of Speed in Chicago with Don Beebe. I went down to Orlando and studied with those guys. I went with Sean Alexander and their team and studied with those guys. And what I found was they were all doing this, this stuff, whatever that stuff was, they're all doing this. Yeah. And then they have their own twist to make them unique so they can do their sales pitch on it. And, and it brings a little bit of a I guess a personalization flair in the world of sameness, how uniquely different, but they're very similar. So what, it doesn't matter what subject that you were to bring up. We could sit here together and take it down and you go, God, man, I never thought about that. There's, yeah. they're all doing those fundamentals every time. That's, that's amazing. Success definitely does leave clues, you know, um, you, you know, you, you mentioned it, I, I guess I'll fast forward there for a second. Cause I did want to talk about this. Um, you, you, you found yourself after you you had, you had all the success, all the money, all the toys. I know you you realized that it, it it sort of felt a bit hollow. Is that fair enough to say when you realize all these these dreams that you had and then you found yourself on a football field one yeah. day? Can you can you share that with me as far as how you got into into football and then um, we'll go. Forward. Well, I think there's a perception of life that that is is really um, kind of a for lack of a better word, kind of a, a bad joke for all of us to be. There's a joke in life that says, when I have this, then I will be. Yeah. Right. Well, you, you, uh, you, you said a great quote. Uh, you said having money and a lot of things feels a lot like being broke. It yeah. felt just like being broke. It was a realization. I still remember it. I was 34 years old. I was actually sitting in a church and I had been driven. I mean, that's the right word. I mean, 
that success thing I bought in hook, line and sinker. So I was going to outwork everybody. I was going to push harder than everybody. Um, I was going to outproduce everybody. I need to be on top. Who's on top? Who's catching me? Where's first, second, third. And it was all that achievement, achievement, achievement. And at a very young age in my early thirties, um, I looked up and I had those things. And I say this humbly because only by take it wrong. If they stick with us enough to hear the next comment they'll see and I had you know I I was a multimillionaire. I had the big cars and I had the big houses and I I had the boats and all the toys and I was doing all the vacations and I looked up and recognized wow this feels just like I felt being broke Hmm. it was so lonely it was so tough it was so hard to be me was like so difficult and I learned how to manage that you know period but until this day, I would say, and nobody feels sorry for me, wah, wah, wah. Uh, to this day, um, I would say 98% of the people that text me they want something from me. I would say that 99% of the people that email me want something from me. Um, I would say that very few people look at me as if I struggle and I struggle daily like everybody else. The belief was that if you ever got that, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that we call success and money and fame and fortune and all those things that this would be a solution. And I should have looked out at the footprints in the sand of all the athletes that are miserable, of all the CEOs that are miserable, of all the people that are addicted, all the people that have divorces because their careers and all that. I should have done that process early on, but it was a shock at 34 that, man, this feels just like being broke. This is, this is back to hell. This feels like hell success. Yeah, so when, when you got into the football field and you're actually able to share the knowledge to these kids that I, I'm, I'm sure you probably saw a little bit of yourself in some of these kids as well from, you know, um, the, the rough background that, that you came from. Um, did you start to feel a bit more of that sense of completion because, you know, you, you were doing something that maybe you felt was a little bit more th- worthwhile your time of? It, it happened by mistake. And I would say this life has seasons and, uh, Coming from an OG, I'd say that one of the other things that I would do is I would recognize what season of life I'm in if I'm a listener. And I don't hold on to that season at all. And that's been kind of my secret to keep climbing success and find some peace and joy and happiness. So I only had one thing, and that was building. But there was no part of me that was giving. I was only taking. And if you go through life only taking, then no matter if you think you're good or great or any of that other stuff, it becomes so one-sided. And I wasn't egotistical. I I still thought I was a good guy and I still thought I was being humble and all that, but it was one-sided. I mean, period. And somebody said, uh, Hey, you know, why don't you coach a little league football team, which made absolutely no sense to me since I'd chosen to eliminate my dad's gene pool by not having kids. So here I am with no kids and they're going, why don't you go coach a bunch of 11 year olds? Yeah, that sounds fine. Why don't I stick myself with a needle? I mean, why would I want to do that? All the parents say, you want my kids? You can have them. So I I just said, okay, if you are trying to give them away, I don't want any. So, you know, so here, here I am on this uh, first day. And this kid looks at me and says, you're going to be our coach. And I said, I'm not sure, uh, you know, maybe. And I'm just checking it out. And he goes, well, I hope so. You seem pretty cool, but don't expect anything. We're a bunch of losers. And, man, that changed my life that day. And I said, whoa, whoa, time out, time out. Don't go away. Why would you call yourself a loser? You're 11. You know, all that life left in front of us, right? right? All of those possibilities, right? 
And because of a stupid football game and a lot of parental pressure, we have now decided because of the scoreboard that we're not getting the right side on, that it's become personal. And this person's taken on the characteristic traits of a loser. Wow. I said, I said, you know, never try to be philosophical with an 11 year old. They'll put you <laughs> in your place. And I said, that's just the scoreboard. You know, that's just the scoreboard. But the scoreboard of life says you can be a winner. He looks at me. It's like, yeah, you seem pretty cool, but we're losers. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I'm like, oh, God, that didn't go well at all. <laughs> My process so, isn't working. <laughs> it's like, and so I did the process. Yeah. And I can, I can walk through the process right there. I, can, I did the process. Wow. And I went to the head coach and of the junior high and in Alabama, you know, football is kind of God. You've been there before. Oh, yeah. You've been on those stadiums, you know, Love it. and uh, so, you know, college wants to know what high schools are doing and high schools want their junior high to feed into the system and junior high wants their youth football to feed into the system. So they all run this system. So somewhere down the line, they can all win football games. And so um the junior high coach says, man, we got to get serious. This is the team that I'm going to inherit. And if this team doesn't get better, they are coming in as losers. They won one ball game and tied one ball game in two years. I got to have them better so I can get out of junior high. You know, it's pretty self-motivated, right? Yeah. But still in a good way, still in a good way. <laughs> and, uh, and so I said, okay, um, I'm going to be your coach, but we're going to hold a meeting and no one's going to like me because I have this process. There it goes. <laughs> and he goes, process, what's a process? Yeah. And I said, it's real simple. I need to spend about a week or two and I'll get back with you. And I want to observe. I have to have a why. And the why is this dude thinks he's a loser. I don't care about football. I care about this kid calling himself a loser because this looked like me when I was growing up. And I don't want him to think he's a loser because he could be a champion. Right. And so I said, so I got a why. Now I have to figure out how to do this because I know nothing about coaching football. I know one position and that's the one I play. And so I went out to the local high schools, to the best coaches that they had in a couple of the colleges. And I interviewed if you were a youth football coach or you had your son on a youth football program, what would you do? And they told me. Was great. Now I got footprints in the sand. I know what I need to be doing. Then I did the next thing and I got knowledge. So I went out and said, will you teach me your system inside out? If I'm going to feed you, I need you to coach me. If your system's so complicated, I can't be coached. I can't teach it to 11 year olds. Right. So I need to know every position. I need to know everything. Then I made the two most controversial things, which is part of my process. Eliminate all distractions. Eliminate all possibilities of failure. And look at things realistically. And if those things are keeping you from success, eliminate them, whatever they are. And unfortunately for me, it was the dads. Those dads were terrible football coaches. You sports are terrible called daddy ball for a reason. And I went, these people are yelling and screaming at their own kid. They don't know anything about football. They're not teaching any proper technique. So I went and said, we're having a parents meeting. You're not, none of you are going to like me. I'm your new coach. And by the way, all the dads are fired except you three. You're the only three that know anything about football. I want you other ones to be cheerleaders. I want you to bring hot dogs. I want you to cook us hamburgers, but you're not getting back on the field. Oh, they hated me. They absolutely hated me. Right. But it was a process that you have to eliminate and do some tough things and evaluate yourself accurately to get real change. And a lot of us won't sit there and find people that are doing what we're doing 
get educated, have a why, and then make the changes. One thing is acquiring information. Another one is using information with a belief behind it, right? Yes. So then from there, the next uh, day, I tried out all the kids. They had to go into new positions because I was told by the high school coaches that, hey, those kids are in the wrong positions. They're in the positions their dad wants them to play. So we held tryouts. We started the thing all over again. Then we worked. And that's part of the process. So we started doing two-a-days as 11-year-olds. Only in Alabama, I'd be put in jail now. It's like child <laughs> abuse, right? And uh, so we get to the first ball game, and I didn't know what to expect. And I knew if I didn't win, we would be, uh, they would be firing me quickly because they wanted me gone anyway. And this team of losers that had only won one ball game and tied one ball game in two years and had been, be- been humiliated, 30 and 40-point losses every game, that year, which is documented, we beat our opponents 357 to 12. Only one team scored on us all year. That is insane. And wow. that started the coaching career. Wow. And then you win three consecutive titles with that team. We and- win three consecutive titles with different teams. It would be the 10-year-old losers yes, coming up, and I'd have to change them again, and 10-year-old losers. So there was a process of excellence that we did. But what is so great to this day, I was teaching them life. It had nothing to do with football. I was teaching them that fundamentals matters. I was teaching that hard work matters. I was teaching them how to get up and fight through adversity. I was teaching them that starting was no more important than being second and third team. Um, We had a process that was team built and it was love and it was great. To this day, you'll get me to cry in on here if I think about those early nights because that was their name, the Cabahite Knights, and they were beast. Yeah, and and that Knights program, I mean, you you – you mentored so many kids. I mean, you and Michelle opened up your home, opened up your fridge, <laughs> built a basement, uh, uh, a gym. You did everything that you possibly could to set these kids up for success. And you touched on it very quickly, but Super Bowl 43, Pittsburgh Steelers and Arizona Cardinals are playing. But for you, this isn't any ordinary game. Two young men that you trained and mentored, Tim Castile and Anthony Madison, are playing against each other in the biggest game of their life. They uh, Truly a dream realized. I mean, you must have been overjoyed. Like, like when you think about that moment, like the emotions must be incredible. Yeah, I'm choking up uh, right now. Uh, they're your kids. Uh, they bought in. And they sacrificed. And sometimes you just wished that everything that you were saying would be true. That you could actually get them to accomplish the things that you accomplished by just your footprints. And you wanted to believe it so much. And you had pushed those kids so hard. And they had sacrificed weekends with their friends. They had sacrificed summers. They had been there together. They were They'd been through everything. I mean, we, we sold our first home because we found out that our next door neighbor didn't like us training black kids. I put a for sale sign at my house wow. the very next day. And we had built a family. And on this day, I'd said, come on, if you dream, anything's possible. And as much as I believe that, I wasn't talking about the Super Bowl, for God's sakes. <laughs> right? Right. And here they are. From my basement. Man. And there's the Super Bowl setting. And there they are. Saluting 
us in the stands. And it's like, this is the promise of God. This is, this is the end. This says that no matter what you want to do, you do the process. You fight. You work. But you dream so big that everybody laughs. You dream so big that people think you're crazy. And when everybody is talking, work. And when everybody's down, use it to inspire you. And when everybody has you down, get up out of that hell that I was born in and go to your greatness. And there they were. Greatness. Two young men celebrating the biggest moments of their sports. And it had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with we had unleashed their gifts that everybody listening to this podcast has. The gifts that would take you from the darkest places to the brightest lights if you work the process. Wow, man. Yeah, that was tough. Oh man, but Tommy, I, you know, when I when I started this this podcast, you were literally like my top three. I was like, okay, I I have to get Tommy on, <laughs> and you know, um, I remember, I like I, I came to a a country, didn't know anybody. You opened up your home to me and the guys, and. I'd go up to your farm in Florida and we would just sit down and, and, and you would do this, like this, this is you, you would open up your heart and your knowledge. And every time I would leave speaking with you, I felt like I was levitating. I felt like I just had a secret power or, or just, just because of the knowledge and the love that you give everyone that you come in, in contact with. And the ripple effect that you've had is, is so incredible. And I, I just want to say, I love you so much for that. Love you, buddy. Oh man. It, it's, I, I'm going to go to, um, and this is a good segue to this because I, I do want to talk about the power of your walk. Yeah. And, and, um, for those that are listening, you know, if you could explain that a little bit and, um, and how they could potentially, apply it into their, their life starting today. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are feeling stuck that still think that they are a loser. They're that 11 year old kid, you know, in their head. And they think that they're stuck is, is what would you tell those people about the power of your walk and how it could, you know, transform their own lives? Let's, uh, you know, first of all, you know, thanks for that transition because he had me over here in tears, you know, so <laughs> and, uh, I would apologize, but, you know, I'm not going to Never um, because kidding. those are my beliefs. Those are my core. And when you believe anything from that depth, if it doesn't move you, then restart and go back and look at it again because it should move you to that emotion. And people are just mm-hmm. living the moment and getting through days and surface. It's, level. it's just not where I'm at. So you know, I have this belief that life doesn't begin or end at a certain age. It begins and ends every day. And if I really thought, in which I do, if I really thought that life could end today, then I would live today much differently. So I actually do live today as if it's my last day. And I'm going to have this interview as if it's my last interview. And that gives everybody the recognition, the same level of importance. 
period. If you if the last time you're going to say goodbye to your loved one, you hugged them like it was the last time you would hug them like that every day. We would probably have a different relationship just saying and that's probably preaching to myself more than anybody. Um, so so it got back to those fundamental truths the, that we talked about, those steps those steps, when I started retracing all of my steps, they led me to a way out. I had to walk back in and look and see what had happened. And then I could look back out and go, wow, these are steps. They're teachable steps. They're steps that can get you out. Hmm. And we can take the power walk. And it happened so organically great because people are obviously asking me to do a lot of public speaking from the standpoint of the whole rag to riches and success. Yeah. And, you know, a drug dealer drives up in a Ferrari, not a Volkswagen. There's a reason. So you got to show them all the glitter and glam. So they wouldn't ask me to speak if I was still broke, you know I mean? Period. <laughs> it's that simple, yeah. you know, but at the end of the day, uh, those successes got me on a lot of stages to speak about my process of excellence and my process of building and how over, came not having a father in my background that was supportive and all those things and how overcame you know the the environments of being in in the situation we were that was so dysfunctional and so that gets you on a lot of stages and a lot of different formats and then of course the success we had in sports got me on a lot of stages from the standpoint of building sports teams and all that stuff so I ended up being speaking a lot to football teams and corporations and churches and 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 groups and podcasts and things like that and um and so I, out of nowhere i get this i've I'd, I'd been a speaker at jacksonville state college and uh, to their football program and, and it was super great and out of nowhere this group of guys came in and they're super amazing men ex-nfl athletes and they go across the nation doing this whole power thing and they're they're truly gifted and they're so amazing and keith and keith davis and Clark, clarence and get a call from them. They said, Hey man, we heard you're a great speaker. Will you come with us to speak? And I was like, first of all, I don't know who told you as a great speaker, but I'll serve any place I need to be serving. So if you think that can help your situation, then I'll go. And so of course they picked uh, Chicago. So that was going to be very interesting with all of Chicago statistics and all those things. And so I went to Chicago that night and we, uh, we, that day, and we started talking and we talked to a middle school, high school and colleges and, you know, it was literally hop in a car, go to the next one, hop in a car, go to the next one. I think we spoke to four schools the first day and we get there that night and they said, dude, man, Tommy, not seeing anything like this. Those kids respond to you, man. You killed it today. And I looked at them in all seriousness and I said, no, we killed today. I'm taking a flight home. They're like, what? We got you booked for two more days, man. You're like, you know, one of our major speakers. And I'm like. Uh, no, 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 no. I can't do what you guys are doing. And no offense. I think it's great. But the oppression and the depression and, and, and the death that I felt in those schools, I've never felt that before. Yeah. These kids are dying and nobody freaking cares, man. And he's like, no, you, you're just taking it. Dead. And I said, I'm not taking it any kind of way. I just I can't go back in there. I felt hell. I felt my past. I felt my pain. And literally, we sat down at the table and they said, stay with us. What, what you want to do? I said, give me the last 10 minutes. And I want to try to take these people through a power walk. It wasn't even named that, by the way. Really? I just said, I want to take them through the steps that I took to get out. That's all I said. Hmm. And he said, well, we'll pass out five by seven cards at the end and let them fill out if they're inspired, 
let them fill out what their goals are. But if they need help, we'll put a line saying, I need help. I'm addicted. I'm depressed. I'm cutting, whatever the case may be. And we just did it innocently, probably just to please me. Um, And so that night, I can remember the flashbacks were so vivid that I literally filled up a tub as a grown man. I filled up the tub in the hotel and I would get the water as hot as my skin could take it. And I would lay there and shivering. And I did that three times throughout the night, just literally trying to get through the night to get to the next day because of all the trauma and flashback that I was seeing through those kids. I could feel who was getting beat. I could feel who was addicted. I could feel who was cutting. And I said, man, I I don't know what to do here. So over the next uh, three days, uh, we spoke to, I think, 14 schools and over 400 kids turned in notes that were suicidal or addicted asking for help. And it changed my life that day. And I didn't want it to. I ran. I ran hard back to Wall Street and managing money. But they just kept haunting me. I mean, they just kept haunting me. Mm -hmm. And I'd always told my team, if you ever wonder if it's Friday or if you don't want it to be Monday, uh, give me your resume and I'll find you a job, man, because, you know, work sucks. You know, you need to be doing something that you're passionate about, something that you believe in. And don't worry about the pay. That stuff will take care of itself. But do something that's using your gifts. And I came in about, I don't know, a year and a half later, maybe. And I just couldn't let those kids go in my brain. And I couldn't let people go. And so I started looking at the addiction that's across the world, um, the suicide rates that's across the world, the depression, anxiety that's across the world, which has been multiplied tremendously. I wouldn't even want to do the numbers again. I would become a statistic and be depressed. So there's a lot of people out there really hurting right now. And um, so I went, what if I could do this? What if I could just make this be the next season of my life? And so I walked into my firm at Jackson Wealth Management and I said, look, guys, we if I sell out, they're probably going to fire some of you and reduce some of your salaries and change our process. And I believe in this company. You guys can't afford it right now. So what I'm doing is let you use my revenue. I will move to CEO. I will no longer be active in the company other than the CEO position. And uh, you guys can pay me out over 10 years. And in 10 years, you're all going to be multimillionaires. And, <laughs> and I'm out of here, man. I'm, I'm gone. And uh, so we started the Power Walk, which is the power of your words, your action, your love, and your knowledge. And there's five steps that apply to that. And that's the power of your words, the power of your beliefs, your choices, your action, and your love. And so as we started walking these people through these simple questions of accountability, it's about self-awareness, which leads to self-empowerment. And light bulbs started going off across America, and then the pandemic happened. And so now we're waiting till when we can go back out there on the tour. But until then, we started doing it like this. And so uh, I take every situation and try to find the blessing. So the blessing in the pandemic is it's forced this old guy to get out here and uh, become a podcaster and a clubhouser <laughs> and a and a YouTuber and all that stuff. So I'm getting cool, man. I'm going to be so cool by the time, like, I don't know, oh, you know man. 70 or 80. I'm going to be super cool. <laughs> you, you've been super cool for a long time, man. And I've, uh, I've been listening to uh, your videos and and uh, everything that you've been putting out there. And it's uh, it's always inspiring, always inspiring. Um, to, to finish this off, uh, cause I, I do respect your time. I don't want to go too long here. I, I, um, I always do something fun with my guests and I do uh, some fun, rapid questions and yeah. I, I just, I just love to throw some at you and, and hear your response. I'll respond unless they're too hard and then I'll duck. So throw it. Right. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So first question, cake or pie? 
Uh, cake. Cake. All right. Most memorable Alabama football game you've ever been to? Oh, wow. The one with you and Auburn. But I have to stay. I have to fill in just a timeout. Call a timeout. <laughs> I have to say why. It's like I've never seen. This is going to be great. I take you to this football game. And I, I might as well have taken a nine-year-old. Right. You were you were filming everything. You were into the band. You were into the crowds. Before we get in the stadium, and I can still remember, by the time you get into the stadium, I have to start using my phone because you're out of power completely. And I remember seeing tears go down your face as yeah. the Jets fly over for the national oh. anthem. And you had already spent all of my energy just <laughs> loving on you and watching you have such a blast. All my energy was gone. Oh, and then they man. said, kickoff time. I went, oh. dang, man. And then the game was amazing. So uh, that is by far my most memorable. Oh, Sharing man. that moment was like beyond anything I could have ever done. That that means so much. I, I'm such a football nerd and junkie. And and that moment just rings in my mind. I swear it. That, that moment made me a Bama fan. Like, like th that was it for me. And, uh, it's crazy. And, and yeah, it's just, what an amazing next moment. question. <laughs> next question. <laughs> All right. Uh, what was your first real job ever? First real job ever was, uh, working on a farm, uh, actually rounding up cows and branding them and oh. turning bulls into steers and all that oh, nasty wow. stuff. Yeah. Country boy. All right. Country boy from Alabama. Man. <laughs> uh, what signs make you think someone will go on to be successful? Work ethic. Work ethic. All right. Most embarrassing moment you can share. <laughs> wow. Um, embarrassing moments. That's so interesting that you'd ask that. But embarrassing moments really don't get me a whole lot. Only because <laughs> I, I have embarrassed i've embarrassed others plenty of times but i don't i just don't take myself so serious so i can't name one all right all right uh what is your favorite southern food dish it's this one this one's pretty simple so i gotta go southern right southern southern uh it's it's still and they're going to claim it in other parts of the country but there is nothing <laughs> you know why i'm gonna go straight country then it's going to be eggs and grits and tomato gravy. Oh, that Go is. Go Google it. Go Google it. <laughs> as country as they come. <laughs> uh, biggest pet peeve. Is there a pet peeve that just gets you? Yeah. I mean, it's, again, very simple for me. People using their excuses. Yes. Okay. And um, lastly, just um, what's the best piece of advice that someone gave you or a piece of advice that that stuck with you that you'd like to give the listeners? Real, real easy again. KT Cole told me and he brought me in his office one day and he says, work harder than anybody else will for three years and you'll live better than anybody else can the rest of your life. That's amazing, man. Tommy, once again, I love you. Uh, you are our extended American family down there and uh, uh, I can't wait to see you guys again. I want to thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your heart and your knowledge. I know everyone listening has, has, um, has taken so much away from this conversation. And I just want to thank all the listeners for tuning in once again. And uh, until next time.
Thanks so much. Man, we didn't even say a music question. That makes it a great interview. I know. Awesome, baby. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) To to be continued. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, I'll be weaseling you in here again. I promise you that. (laughs) It was my honor. It was my honor. And I wish you the greatest success. I'm a big fan. Uh, Roll Tide. Roll Tide.